1: of the world, Steve
0: Fingerstiles! So, welcome to another rendition of The Podcast. I am here once again, always again, and brought to you by First Row Collectibles. If you're into nerd culture, if you're into sports memorabilia, if you're into wrestling memorabilia, please visit firstrow.ca. Use promo code THEPODCAST20 to receive 20% off. They got everything from comic books to sign sports memorabilia, signed wrestling memorabilia. Anything you need or want, they got it. They ship worldwide, even better. They update daily, so please visit them at firstrow.ca. If you're into video games and books, please visit bossfightbooks.com for great books on classic video games. You'll find titles like Red Dead Redemption, Silent Hill 2, Final Fantasy 6, and so many others. Everything you see on their website's available in paperback and ebook format, so please check them out at bossfightbooks.com. And if you're looking for the best supplements and CBD products, visit legacysubs.com Use promo code THEPODCAST to receive 10% off. They got everything from sleep To muscle building, anything that makes you feel great, makes you look great, they got it. They are legacy sports nutrition at legacy subs.com. And if you want to support me directly, you can visit my merchandise store at tpublic.com or scroll down on today's device you're listening to on. It's embedded right there in the description. Click on that link. Takes you right to the merchandise store. I got everything from t-shirts to hoodies to travel cases, anything you need or want, it is there. But the most important thing, the freest thing, the easiest thing to do to support the show is rate, subscribe, review on all major platforms, most specifically Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn SoundCloud, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. So this week's guest has had her music featured pretty much everywhere and has worked with the likes of CBS, NBC, Fox, ABC, Atari, EA, WayForward Games, and WWE, to name just a few. She is a composer, music producer, and recording artist, Megan McDuffie. Hello.
2: <laughs> thanks for having me on here
0: no thank you for being here how are you today
2: i'm doing pretty well how about yourself
0: i'm doing great and so many things already just off the bat so many great companies you've worked for so many projects you've worked for how about this to get the ball rolling here so people get to know you what made you get into music and want to do this for a living
2: yeah my origin story right <laughs> i get this question a lot um It was never a question of what I wanted to do when I grew up, essentially. I always knew it was going to be music. I've gravitated towards music in one form or another since I could walk and talk. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and, you know, that took the form in the beginning as private piano lessons and voice lessons, and then in high school it was choir, and I got to travel the world, essentially, with doing choir festivals and things like that, so that was amazing, and then it didn't sort of take this um, media trajectory until my um, my undergrad work at UC Santa Cruz, so that was sort of the evolution of it, and uh, yeah.
0: So what made you want to go it's from it's performing and touching an instrument to making the music behind it?
2: Yeah, so I had always kind of been into film soundtracks. Um, I didn't really make the connection that that is what I wanted to focus on until, okay. until my my bachelor's degree. I um, I started out as a vocal major because that's what I've I had been doing. I've been singing my whole life, and so that was just sort of a default. And I took a film music class, okay. and I had a year. Eureka moment where the light bulb went off in my head and I was like oh well of course this is this is it this is for me this is what I want to do and so at that point I started really focusing on orchestration and arrangement and Mm. the composition and production side of things.
0: Now are you like me where in today's generation it's sort of different from like say even the 70s to 80s to even 90s where soundtracks made a movie where now it's pretty much a forgotten lost art?
2: yeah it's been an interesting <laughs> it's been an interesting journey. I, of course, as I said, fell in love with film soundtracks primarily for those amazing themes, mm-hmm. from the likes of John Williams and Alan Silvestri and Danny Elfman. And we've of sort of lost that nowadays, which is kind of sad. But you know, things are cyclical, so I think we're kind of we could head that, that direction again.
0: Well, I certainly hope so. so Okay, how about this? What are some of your favorite soundtracks then, of all time?
2: Of all, all time. Oof. I mean, there are so many incredible ones. Uh, I know. Just right off the top of my head, um, the soundtrack to actually my favorite film, which is Labyrinth. Okay. Score posed by Trevor Jones, supplemented by, you know, pop tracks by David Bowie. And that mm-hmm. soundtrack is just so unique and amazing. <laughs> Um, another one that kind of tops
0: it is
2: Beetlejuice. That's Danny Elfman. Really? Yeah, okay. I am a big fan of '80s soundtracks. So,
0: oh, for my, so don't worry, but I would never have pegged Beetlejuice. Like, I, I, I hear it now in the back of my mind, but it's not something that I would play, like, say, on a regular. Right,
2: right, right. Yeah, that makes sense.
0: Oh, <laughs> uh, like one I remember always, and again, this is going back to, and uh, it was uh, on the cusp- so I, I wasn't really a child, so. I was already old enough to know what was going on in the world. I was pretty much a teenager going on to adult, I believe, when this movie came out. When the Lion King soundtrack came out, oh my God, that to me was one of my favorite sound. Like I'm saying, like not orchestra, like music-based soundtracks of all time. If you're going orchestra, I like the like the old school, like say like Star Wars type of stuff. Like Superman yeah. had a great score as well. I remember like the original ones and like yeah. stuff like that where it had like that orchestra behind it where you felt the music, right?
2: absolutely yeah i definitely once i hit college i was like i want to know how to do that i want to know how to write for every single instrument in the orchestra and have oh, wow. orchestra play this piece and uh i can do that i haven't had many chances to do that but i can right. do that
0: <laughs> so are you able to play pretty much every instrument that's out there
2: <laughs> no i can't play all of them okay I can just write for them <laughs> I play, I dabble in about five instruments.
0: Oh, still, that's, that's still impressive nowadays. Like I was, we were talking about this the other day with, with one of my neighbors and where we were saying that reading music and perform it, that's a language in its own right. And people don't realize it's, it's sort of like learning English or like a second or third language. You know what I mean? Like learning to read music, like being able to play and r- read music. I think it's to, two totally different things.
2: Yeah, it is. It is definitely a language. Um, yeah, I mean, I've kind of worked my whole life to be able to do that. So, like learning a second language, it,
0: it's totally the same thing. Oh, my. So, you've composed for a ton of work for TV, movies, music videos, all all these fun projects. How about this? What, when you're looking back to your earlier projects, is there anything that you would have changed or even that you cringe at looking back now with how many years' experience you have?
2: Oh, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I just think any creative even you know as soon as a project's out the door sometimes it's like oh i wish i had done that one thing differently um for me specifically it it was the post-production side of things so the mix and master um that's something that took me a little bit longer to really hone and really get to that commercial level Mm. and and I look back on some of my older released stuff or older stuff that still gets placed in television shows, and I'm just like, oh, if only I had known that technique that I know now.
0: <laughs> right. But it's good that evolutional because you see it, well, most specifically in recording artists, obviously, like their earlier stuff is their greatest stuff. You know what I mean? They don't really evolve and get better. But when you're making music and you're behind the scenes, I think it's, a totally different thing because you've mentioned like some of these top hitters i think the more they worked, the better they got even if it wasn't recognized like it was in their early 80s like you know what i mean
2: mm-hmm. yeah there i mean to be fair there are some recording artists and bands that i feel like their sound has absolutely evolved but they've okay. remained true to their unique style you know since day one
0: how about this? When you're working on a project, say, either making, uh, producing, making vocals, whatever it is, and you're in a group, do you prefer to either work alone or do you like the group setting when making music?
2: Hmm. Well, I've mostly worked alone, um, but I supplement that with a lot of collaborations for fun, essentially. Okay. Uh, and it, it's great. It kind of breaks up the monotony and the sort of – I don't know, the like inner monologue that's going on in my head when I'm sure. just you know me in a bubble in a room in the dark <laughs> producing. Um, so yeah, it, I don't know if I prefer one over the other, but I like a good balance of both.
0: So what are some of your favorite collabs over the years, for whatever reason, not only because it was good, but because you had a great time or just the atmosphere alone?
2: Yeah, um, let's see. I probably would have to say... The first track I ever collaborated on with the artist Moonrunner83, okay. um, it sparked an amazing friendship because of, yes. you know, just we were two strangers meeting over the internet. He thought I was in Ireland. Oh, wow. I thought he was in Ireland because we met on <laughs> we That's met hilarious. on a um, it was like a UK message board, and okay. so neither of us realized that he was in. Um, Calgary, and I was in the States, so it was just kind of funny. funny. And then, so, you know, from that, Blossomed a Great Friendship, uh, a song that, you know, kind of became bigger than the both of us, and I got a chance to fly up to Calgary and shoot an amazing, epic, 20-minute-long short film slash music video for that project. So it, it was like... The avalanche that uh, that kept on going. So that that's definitely one of my favorites. Um, another one of my favorites is sort of similar. Um, I reached out to an artist called Alex. Okay. Uh, I liked his stuff a lot. We collaborated on an entire album and then um, a few singles here and there. But again, it's he was producing stuff that I never really would have come up with. Like his style is kind of different oh, from mine. Okay. So... I think that's my favorite part of collaborating is getting that infusion of different flavors, I guess, if you will.
0: Cause one thing I've always wanted to know about music producers or composers, when you're giving a project, say the the company that wants you to work for them, but they're giving you a genre you're not really a fan of or enjoy. How is it to make music in that genre that you're not comfortable with?
2: Oof. You know, I haven't had to do a ton of that. I have been stretched creatively, where they'll say something like, "Okay, we want it to be big band swing, but also electronica." And so, like, I, I, you know, I can do both of those separately, mm-hmm. but I've never tried to combine them. So, I've been stretched creatively like that, and those are always really fun challenges. But I've never been asked to produce something. Thing like top 40 country or okay. <laughs> super hardcore gangster rap and you know those i would not really <laughs> sure. normally travel in um so i don't know i kind of look forward to some curveballs now and then it just it it keeps my chops you know keeps, keeps my chops up here
0: no that's good because I'll, that leads into my next question where i guess you wouldn't turn down any project then you would face it straight on and just deal with it then right
2: I would, yeah, if the only <laughs> if the only bar to entry was that it was a, an unfamiliar genre, you know, budget and other things notwithstanding, of course.
0: So what is your typical genre of music that you like to listen to on your free time?
2: Uh, that I like to listen to? It's fairly similar to what I enjoy producing the most, which is okay. dark electronica.
0: Oh, okay.
2: I really enjoy – I enjoy a lot of different things – I would say, yeah, anything that you could consider like industrial, metal, techno, sci trance, the whole EDM umbrella. Sure. And then anything rock, punk. Um, yeah. Just the, the heavier sounding stuff with really good beats.
0: Now, a lot of that music originated from Europe. Has there been any artists or any composers you've worked with over in Europe?
2: Uh, yes. Uh, that, that guy, the fella I just mentioned, Alex, he's in Scotland. Oh,
0: Scotland. Okay. I know. I really don't count the UK as Europe anymore because they, you know, (laughs) they sort of broke off.
2: (laughs) To me, everything is, you know, everything is East. That's all Europe. (laughs) (laughs) Who else have I worked with over there? Um, another guy from the UK called Craig Connolly. He is a trance producer and he plays a lot of big, like, I guess, trance, festivals sure. that you know go all night and all day
0: <laughs> well speaking of festivals and trance would you ever want to dj
2: uh maybe <laughs> i don't know has it ever crossed it's, your mind it has crossed my mind um i'd say for the for the right thing you know <laughs> for the right price for the right sure. atmosphere for the right exposure and, you know, compensation, that kind of thing. I'd consider it, of course.
0: Well, like, they have all these expos where they have DJs there playing music in booths and stuff. You've produced music for video games. I think that would be a perfect fit, in my opinion.
2: It's, you know, it's funny. It's similar to people asking me when I'm going to play live, all of the stuff that I've produced over the years. okay. And uh, the answer pretty much is that it is far more worth my return on investment from my time (laughs) to be in my studio producing and outputting stuff than it is to you know prepare a live set get new gear practice the set uh book the gigs you know schlep all the gear set everything up for you know 200 bucks and a drink ticket
0: Like, majority of people have to love it and make it, like, their first, like, true love, like, performing. Like, like I'm, I'm the same way. To do, like, live shows and to do stuff, it's like, yeah, I would do it, but it's not my thing. Like, it's not the thing I want to be, like, out there in front of, like, millions of people or, or whatnot. Like, I, I don't have a problem with it. I just don't see the appeal. Like, I, I don't know. Maybe I just don't need the acceptance or, 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 or the claps and stuff. But I don't know. Again, to each his own, I guess.
2: I would love to perform more. It's just a logistics thing. Mm. You know, it's a it's a time versus money kind of kind of deal. If if somebody were to set all of that up for me and mm. I could just show up <laughs> and perform, that would be different. I could I could get behind that one.
0: How about a franchise that you've worked with in the past but you were a fan of first? Hmm. I
2: actually don't have any of those.
0: <laughs> really? So every every project you've worked on or any company you've worked with, you just really weren't following them beforehand or n- nothing like that?
2: Uh, yeah, pretty much. Wow. I mean, I obviously had heard of Atari before they came to me. Oh, well, sure. Uh, but I, you know, it was sort of a, a passing thing. Like, oh, yeah, I may have played Asteroids and Centipede in an arcade way back in the 90s, but I never had an Atari system at home. Uh, same with WayForward. People were really into way forward games and um the river city ransom series that came out on super nintendo way back when before way forward had anything to do with it and so when i got to do river city girls people were losing their minds over it and i was like oh yeah i kind of heard of this franchise let's (laughs) you know see what happens (laughs) and it turns out it's like this huge thing and it's got a big legacy and i just missed that boat i guess (laughs)
0: Now, do you think you would work differently if you were a fangirl of a company that you were hired to work for?
2: Hmm. Probably not. I, you know, I put on my professional hat.
0: <laughs> well, that's good that you could do that because some people would just go with their emotions and think that, oh, I got to impress them instead of bring what they saw in me first. Like, you know what I mean? Like, sure. it, yeah. s- Sometimes it screws with people's minds because... You got there for a reason, but then when you're there, you think you got to please them a certain way because you've seen everyone else in the past, right? So it's.
2: Yeah, I mean, I've definitely gotten hired by companies and have had those moments where I get off the phone or I read an email and I'm doing a little dance and having that fangirl moment. Um, but yeah, I, I wouldn't say that it changes the way I work.
0: Now, how about music placement like for those who don't know what exactly is music placement because i think you've done this for some tv series if i'm correct
2: yeah yeah you're correct um yeah music placements aka sync licensing um um, yeah so essentially how it typically works i'd say in the majority of cases is that a composer producer like me songwriter an artist will submit their music to a music library or a production music house that has basically connections to, uh, those, you know, studios, the post-production houses, um, directors Um, and editors, et cetera, will be looking for music and they will go to those libraries. And so those libraries kind of serve as the middleman, right? Between the artist and the production company. So, that's kind of how it works um you give (laughs) you give the library your music and you hope that somebody finds it and licenses it oh
0: okay so that's how it works so it's not like you're working directly with those companies then
2: correct yeah it's Ah. all usually through a third party
0: you know what that sounds a lot better in my opinion tell you (laughs) the (laughs) truth,
2: it it is and it isn't you know um it can be really nice to have a direct contact, okay. say you're best friends with an editor and you're just feeding him or her music all the time. That's great, right? You don't have to give a cut to anybody or just True. sit collecting virtual dust, which happens a lot of the time. <laughs> um, but at the same time, yeah, it's it's kind of nice to have a collection of yours sort of being housed somewhere. Sure. Uh, where more people are potentially going to come across it. Um, Yeah, I mean, it really just depends. So it it can be hard to make a living on just sync licensing, but some people do it. Some people work with one library, not a ton, and they just land placement after placement after placement. It just really depends on who's looking.
0: Yeah, no kidding. And you also had your music featured in trailers, such as Predator and and other horror sci-fi genre stuff. Now, how does that happen where you get your music in the trailer but not necessarily in the actual movie itself?
2: Yeah, so uh, I would say, again, in 99% of cases, trailer music is sourced specifically for the trailer. It almost never comes from the movie or the movie's composer. Like, that just doesn't really really happen unless there's some main theme song that they kind of want to use in the trailer. But yeah, most often... It is, you know, they need those huge risers, those huge hits, those gnarly sounds, the 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 drops and the all of it, explosions. (laughs) So trailer editors are looking for trailer specific type sounds um, um, with usually a three or four arced structure. They're very specifically structured, where you got, you know, a little rise, a, a break a bigger rise, a break, and then, like, a huge climax, and then, like, this massive stinger at the end. They're very formulaic. Um, so, yeah, for trailers, it's pretty similar.
0: Okay.
2: Uh, in my case, I wrote basically... I worked with a company called Position Music, and they essentially commissioned me to write an entire album's worth oh,
1: wow.
2: of sci-fi-slash-horror-flavored trailer pieces. hmm and then they had this nice little collection from me and they pitched it to, you know, all of the trailer houses and production companies that they had relationships with. And that's kind of how that happened for me. And I'd say of the trailer composers that I know, that is very typical.
0: Oh, wow. That's pretty cool. Now, speaking of sci-fi, you also composed for Star Trek Progeny. How was that experience for you? And are you, I didn't even ask, are you a sci-fi or horror fan to begin with?
2: I am. Absolutely, both a sci fi. Oh, beautiful.
0: Okay, good. So am I. (laughs) That's awesome.
2: (laughs) I love both of those genres to death. One of my favorite movies of all time is The Fifth Element. And you can't get more than that.
0: (laughs) No, I love it too.
2: Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, uh, Horror movies, yeah, I I could list a million horror movies I love. Um, So, Star Trek Progeny, that was only a track of mine that, that was. Basically licensed for their little like Kickstarter trailer thing. I didn't actually work on a series. Yeah. So it was a sync licensing type thing. So I I basically didn't have any interaction (laughs) with anybody.
0: (laughs) So how about this? Since you are a sci-fi fan, are you Star Trek or Star Wars?
2: I don't think there's an or I think it's Thank an
0: you. and. Okay, I'm the same way because I enjoy both just as much because they have their yeah. pros and cons. And they're so, yeah. like, people say that they're the same. No, they're not. That means you don't know what the hell's going on in either or.
2: <laughs> I agree. I think you can be a fan of both for, you know, their their pros and cons. Just, there's no reason to fight over it. Like, give me a break. <laughs> they're both, right? They're both great in their own right.
0: So what are some of your favorite Star Wars movies or even series now, since those have been popular over the years now?
2: Yeah, I mean, I can't go wrong with the original trilogy. Four, five, and six are incredible. Okay,
0: now which one do you enjoy more? Empire Strikes Back or the original?
2: Probably Empire. Yeah, me too. Yeah, it's actually my husband's favorite movie of all time. (laughs) Wow, no, I
0: I don't blame him. For me, it's probably my top five, top ten for sure.
2: Yeah, it's so good. It's so, so good. And then recently, I really enjoyed Obi-Wan. So did great. I. It yeah. got a little
0: bit sideways reviews, but I'm a huge fan of Darth Vader and the whole Sith lore of everything. And mm-hmm. to see more Darth Vader, on, I know people don't want to see more of him, but I'm the opposite. I want to see more. Give me Darth Vader in friggin' everything. I'll never <laughs> complain. <laughs> He's Sprinkle like,
2: Darth Vader on your cereal. <laughs>
0: it's true. He's like one of uh, top five, for sure, favorite villains of all time. Most yeah. definitely fantastic character he is from top to bottom then to see the origin story because i was a huge fan of episode three that's my favorite of the second i guess trilogy but Mm -hmm. i almost enjoy it more than return of the jedi to tell you the truth like there's something about that whole story of seeing darth vader come to be and when he puts on the mask for the first time oh my goodness like just that (laughs) moment alone makes that that movie one of the best in in all of the sagas
2: yeah, they're all great. I will just love the entire universe for
0: sure. Are you looking forward for season three of The Mandalorian?
2: I am. I actually really enjoyed The Mandalorian. I thought it was so fun.
0: And speaking of old school soundtracks and compositions, this, oh, the score for that series—fantastic from top to bottom. Mm-hmm. Love it. it. Yeah, you feel like you're watching a Star Wars mo- uh, movie, like not even a TV show, because there's some like which one was it Andor, the music was a bit off and i understand why they did with it it wasn't your typical star wars music but i need those trumpets i need that bass kicking in (laughs) to let me know i'm watching star wars like it's just something about that music
2: yeah williams set a huge huge precedent and uh yeah it's it's a legacy
0: (laughs) no for sure how about on the star trek side what do you enjoy mostly on there are you a next generation the original do you like the movies
2: Oh man, I've seen them all. I, okay. <laughs> I, I yeah, it's so hard to pick a favorite because I've really it is.
0: There, I there's enjoy so many
2: characters from different series. Like I'm just the hugest fan of Quark from DS9. Okay. I don't know what it is. Sure, <laughs> I love that guy. He's so weird. Um, I, if I had to pick a favorite, though, probably Next Gen.
0: Yeah, that's me for it's, sure.
2: Yeah, it's the most just. Solid, so
0: great. Like, I think I could. That's the only series I could watch from start to finish and not have a problem. Or the original series is like you could only watch like the good episodes because it's still you know a little bit young and you you see them trying to get through the story. And I say, okay, okay. But something about the, like even the movies, I enjoyed the next generation cast of movies better than the original, except for the Wrath of Khan because I think that's the greatest Star Trek movie of all time. The <laughs> the way the story was told, everything. I don't know. I when I watched it. That was the first time I ever watched Star Trek. I didn't even know the backstory of any of these characters, and it's still to this day my favorite Star Trek movie.
2: How funny. Yeah, I, you know, that's one of the ones I haven't seen, which is ridiculous. Really?
0: Oh, no. <laughs> I know. I should
2: should get on that.
0: You should. And I, I haven't watched it recently, but since the last time I watched it was probably like the early 2000s, it still stood up back then. So I don't mm-hmm. know if it still holds up now, but if you're a Star Trek fan, then you know you could put that all aside anyway. So you'll, you're there for a majority of the story and how everything unfolds. Oh, yeah. But oh, yeah. it was great storytelling from start to finish. But no, I'm glad you're, you're into sci-fi. How about like recent stuff? Any new series that are sci-fi you're into or even movies that you've watched recently?
2: I really fell in love with Interstellar. I know that's not super new anymore, okay. but it's modern. Sure. Um That actually had an incredible soundtrack. It was one that I actually noticed. I was like, wow, this is extremely impactful. Um, I've always loved Pipe Organ, and the fact that that score uses Pipe Organ so effectively just Mm. really hit me. (laughs) Uh, What else? Let's see. Oh, The Expanse. Have you seen that?
0: No, I haven't.
2: Okay. If you like sci-fi, it is like full-on really heard. amazing they really produced super technical just like it's gorgeous and the acting is top-notch everything about it is just seamless I highly recommend it
0: no amazon puts out some good sci-fi series the one i'm actually now i'm almost done i think i'm on the last episode is the peripheral i don't know if you watched this one
2: oh no i haven't seen it yet
0: oh it's fantastic i don't even know how to describe it it's like the Matrix meets Back to the Future meets Looper meets something else. I don't know. It's it's so crazy what's going on in the series. But it all makes sense, oddly enough. And that's the thing I love about sci-fi. If they have like their core, I guess, physics story to let everyone know this is what's going on in this world and why it works, I'm okay with that. Even though it wouldn't happen in our real world. like You know what I mean? Because it's always finicky. I don't know if you're sort of like this. I love time travel movies. And I could suspend disbelief. But when you're always going back to reanimate characters and bring them back and whatever, whatever, so no one really dies, that's when I draw But if you have, like, something in place where if you go back too many times, you get sick from, say, time mm-hmm. travel, so you could only do it, to, like, you know what I mean? Like, put restrictions yeah. on it, sort of like how video games have the invisible walls, so you could just go rounder off into anywhere, right? Because <laughs> I yeah. find that what's what makes a good storytelling when it involves time travel. Yeah, time
2: travel's really fun. I, again, like you, just... Just try not to focus on any of the physics or technicalities. I just sort of like hope that goes over my, or let let that go over my head and and just enjoy it. Try not to dissect it too
0: much. Now on the horror side of things, what do you enjoy? Because now growing up, I pretty much all I had was hack and slash horrors. That's pretty much it. There was no psychological, (laughs) no this, no that. Nowadays you got everything. You got gore. You got, still have hack and slash. You have the psychological ghosts, this, this and that. What is your preferred type of horror movie?
2: I really enjoy the more mind-fuck, supernatural. Okay. Yeah, I I love ghost stuff. I love kind of slow-burning horror, just like that oozing feeling of dread. I'm not as big into slashers and gore. Okay. I don't find them scary, really. Uh, I'm more of a psychological-type horror fan.
0: See, the problem with me is when I was growing up as a child, all I wanted was hack and sash because gore. The more gore, the better. If I saw intestines, yes, you're getting a five-star out of me type of thing, right? (laughs) But it didn't scare me. Like, you know what I mean? I remember – actually, one thing, maybe because I was scarred for life, like the first horror movie I remember ever watching was Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2. And it's embedded in my brain, no pun intended, when Freddy appears for the first time and pulls – like he scalps himself and you see his brain. Like, I saw that, like, as a eight, nine-year-old, and then yeah. I was scared for, like, one or two nights, but then I, I wanted more. I was like, why do I want to watch the end of this movie? And then I watched it, and then I just something... Maybe because I started so young, nothing really scared me, and I don't really... Not to say that there isn't, but me, myself, I don't believe in ghosts or the paranormal stuff, so that doesn't really freak me out too much. For I sure. think the stuff that freaks me out is, like, the backwoods type of shit, like chains- okay. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, where, like, some crazy family could just do really malicious stuff to people or even strangers and make right. you di- like stuff like that like right. never am i gonna drive through a highway that's going through a cornfield ever again like you know what i mean
2: <laughs> yeah like um the last time we drove across nevada my husband was like we're not stopping
0: anywhere <laughs> right <laughs>
2: there's hill people <laughs>
0: <laughs> but that's how it is but but i i there's something about again the unknown the horror factor and to me yeah i love sci-fi horror the, the best mm-hmm. when it's meant to be sci-fi horror like aliens for example that's uh, one of alien
2: the is
0: so good. one of the i'm i'm saying aliens with an s because part one was good but i like more like same thing like again going back to gory stuff and well also sort of psychological. At the time, it broke through. It was Saw, the Saw series. So, like, part one was awesome because you never saw that ending coming. And anyone who says they saw it coming, you're a friggin' liar. I'm sorry to say, like, no (laughs) way did you see that coming. But then part two introduced even more people in a bigger atmosphere. Yep. And I was like, oh, my God. So, I always like the more. So, that's why I enjoy Aliens versus Alien. Gotcha. Yeah. I got that.
2: That makes sense. Bigger and better.
0: Do you enjoy the... (laughs) most recent remakes or, I guess, reboots of the Alien series?
2: I enjoyed them. Um, they don't hold a candle to the 80s ones, but oh. but they were fun. I actually kind of have been meaning to watch Prometheus again because I have only seen it the one time when it was in the theater. Um, but, yeah, I enjoyed them. They had a good tone.
0: And, Again, you can't recreate that. That's the thing about some of these classic movies. Like people think it was because of the aliens. And it's like, you have no idea the value of Signori Weaver in all, even the third one, which people hate, but I love again. I don't, I don't know why that whole jail setting and then seeing a dog being able to turn into an alien to, that was fantastic. But the
2: alien dog was
0: pretty fun. <laughs> everything about Sonori Weaver made that series. And if she wasn't in it, I don't care what anyone says, I don't think it would be as popular as it is. And she doesn't get her just due for those for, for that series. Yeah, she's
2: she's a powerhouse. I I love her in everything she does.
0: <laughs> it's so true. She's one of those actresses that just from start to finish, speaking of career getting better, hers, oh my goodness, right? Up to now, Avatar and everything yeah. that she's in. It's like, oh, yeah. oh fantastic she- shit. She's awesome. Okay, how about this? Going back to music quickly, before, because I want to touch on video games because I'm a huge video game nerd. I've been playing my whole life. So I want to know the intricacies of making music for video games. But how about this? When you first started making music, what was like your biggest hurdle to get over when you were producing or composing anything? Mm. There
2: are a few things. I would say the limitation of the realism of the software that i could afford at that point Mm. (laughs) so trying to you know orchestrate things with samples that sound like ass that's no fun (laughs) um that and like i said kind of the post production side of things the mixing mastering uh that took longer in my journey because it wasn't as intrinsic i guess like i've never had a problem with uh with hearing things and with music theory and reading music but i was you know that like came easily for me it was more natural in in my body and my mind but then mixing was something that i kind of had to start from scratch. like i have decent ears obviously but i had to train them whereas When I went from, you know, day one all the way through grad school, I was training the theory and the ear training and that kind of thing, and I wasn't as focused on the mixing side. And then when I got out of college, I was like, okay, now I have this huge foundation, but how do do I make it sound good? (laughs)
0: And it's so crazy, the advent of technology, too. And I'm sure you could attest to this from start to now where you could do everything on even your phone nowadays. I know it doesn't sound as movie professional, but it's pretty close to how it was back in the day holding a camcorder trying to make your own home videos. You know what I mean? And in your opinion, what do you enjoy more working with like the old school analog versus the new school digital stuff?
2: well i didn't actually use much analog really? I,
0: okay
2: yeah yeah um the one analog thing i have is behind me here it's the roland juno synth and that's like okay. ancient cool. 88 wow. you know doesn't even have midi it's like just you know <laughs> inputting and <laughs> out but um so yeah I, when i started composing and producing it was it was all digital i was working You know, a little free program in high school called Anvil Studio. And it was this dinky little general MIDI sound font kind of (laughs) thing. Um, And it basically was just stacks of uh, sheet music looking things. And I would click to place notes. And it was I was like building music that way. That was sort of my first. Yeah, that was the first introduction really to composing that way and then from that point on it was Fruity Loops and then hmm. Logic Pro and that's kind of like where the the digital thing really took hold um, but yeah I, I was I guess just after the transition from studios using mostly analog to to digital
0: Oh that's pretty cool okay now back to video games then you mentioned Atari <laughs> River City Girls What was the first video game you ever worked on, and how did you get into video games?
2: Yeah, so the first game, let's see. I had a piece. I don't usually count this one because it wasn't me, like, working on the game. But I had a little piece licensed for a little mobile game, but I don't count that one. Okay. That wasn't my foray into the game industry. Sure. I use this other story, which is that I went to – uh, GDC, which is the Game Developers Conference in San Francisco, yeah. happens every year. And I just happened to be seated at an awards ceremony. I was sitting next to a guy. We struck up a conversation. Mm-hmm. He was a game developer. We kept in touch, and we actually started working on a project together. And that's kind of the one of those, like wishful moments that everybody has when they go to a convention like that right right? it's like you go to meet people and then it turns into work and that actually happened for me which is crazy and awesome um it was a little game called mimic arena and it is still available on steam you can download it okay it's uh it's pretty fun actually it's very chaotic it's a good party game for you know two or four players that kind of thing there you go yeah so that was that was my first Real game gig, if you will. I can't remember what year that was. Probably 2014? No, okay. even earlier than that,
0: 2013. Okay, there you
2: go. Yeah, so like 10 years ago.
0: Okay, that's, <laughs> well, again, for someone like myself who's in his mid-40s now, that's fairly a short period of time, but for a teenager, that's half their life.
2: <laughs> right, I know, it's all relative.
0: <laughs> so how did River City Girls come to be? Because, again, I'm one of those people you mentioned and has a great following. I played it on the original, uh, the little blocky dudes walking around. It was just a fist coming out. Like, you know what I mean? Exactly. But the one thing that I loved about this, because I'm a huge fan of open world type of video games where you could go wherever you want. And even though you couldn't go wherever you want, this was one of those first beat-em-ups where you don't have to go down the path... Mm-hmm. the developers told you to go down you could go and branch into different areas and, and things right so when i saw this was coming out i was like oh my god this is a game i have to play which i have and oh my god everything from the music to the gameplay everything involved in this game is a beautiful perfect package so like i said <laughs> how did all this come to be for you
2: river city girls was a big uh big networking miracle for me okay uh for a couple years, maybe, I had been part of a community, a group, I guess, um, of video game music lovers and rangers and composers mm-hmm. called the Materia Collective, and I kind of knew, you know, it's not like a huge group of people at that time, it wasn't, and um, one guy named Dale North, he's an incredible composer, video game composer. Um, he was friends with the team at Way Forward, and they were talking one day. And Way Forward said, "Hey, we're going to be working on this secret game. We need—do you know anybody who you know um, produces and composes specifically kind of '80s sounding synth pop?" And Dale said, "Oh, I might know somebody." <laughs> and at the time, I didn't know Dale had even heard my music, let alone knew who I was even though we were both in this group. (laughs) I guess he had heard my name in passing and checked out my music. I don't know. I don't know how I knew about me. But he put in my name as a reference or as a recommendation and WayForward got in touch with me really soon after that because they heard some of the stuff that I had done and they were like, oh my God, she's a perfect fit. We got to hire her.
0: Oh, that's so awesome to hear. So did you produce and compose everything from top to bottom on this video game or is it just certain stuff that you worked on?
2: almost the entire thing i did 50 out of 60 songs what yeah on that first one and then on the sequel i did did i do everything i did all but one track so i did 46. yeah
0: and from the first (laughs) to the second it's all new stuff you didn't recycle anything from going to one to two did you
2: all new Oh, I misspoke. I'm sorry. Dale actually did the the cutscenes in the sequel. My bad. Okay. So I didn't. I didn't do 46. I did about mm,
0: 30, 36. <laughs> and the one thing that always popped in my head when playing part one, because I still haven't gotten around to part two, which I will eventually, but was some of the tracks had vocals behind it. That's something that you did not see in the 8-bit, 16-bit era. It was all pixelated and all this fun synthesized music notes, right? where you guys broke away from that. And to me, and again, it fits perfect with this game. So going back is how was working with the vocals and coming up with vocals for a video game? Cause that's stuff that really doesn't happen. Right.
2: Yeah. I mean, it was, it was pretty unique. I think it kind of threw people a little bit when, right? when they f- first vocals coming out of the game. It was like, Whoa, what, huh? It kind of like, it diverts your attention a little bit. Um, I don't know how they originally had the idea to put vocals in the game i think the director had heard that once upon a time and it really stood out to him so i wanted to try it and then it kind of worked out perfectly because there's a character one of the villains is a rock star uh, named noise and i guess everybody in river city is her fan right so they had this idea of like oh well we want vocal songs. You're, a, you're, you know, you're a professional vocalist. Why don't you basically create songs as if they were coming from this character? Mm. So, I sort of became the equivalent of Jack Skellington, right? So it was like Danny Elfman did the music, but he also did these vocal songs for the character of Jack, and I kind of felt like that was my moment <laughs> with noise in River City. Um, yeah, it was. It was so much fun to produce those songs. It was basically like they gave me a style, a genre that they wanted throughout the whole game. And they said, okay, you're creating from the point of view of this noise character. Here's a little bit of her backstory. And that was my template. And I just kind of ran with it.
0: Yeah, because I'm always interested to know if the composers get to see the finished product beforehand or even play it in terms of video games when you're producing stuff? Or is it just like you said, the company comes to you, this is what we want, here's the direction, here's the backstory, go.
2: Yeah. uh, It kind of just depends on where the company feels like they want to bring you in. Uh, In my experience, sometimes it's very early on and I'm sort of working alongside the development team. Mm. Uh, In the case of River City, I didn't get to see much in the way of gameplay when I first started out. They brought me in pretty early. So all I had to work from were uh, character art, art design, uh, descriptions of the areas and the oh, levels cool. in the game. Okay. And that's pretty much it. Like, oh, wow. here's you know the, the overarching story. Here's about the characters. Mm-hmm. Here's what they look like. And go.
0: <laughs> now, do you go back? Are you one of those artists that makes and obviously compose the stuff, go back and listen to it so you know it's like, okay, this is what I wanted. Or you're like, I've done it, I don't care if I hear it in passing, sure, but I don't listen to my own shit, so to speak.
2: Well, every once in a while I will. Okay, Uh, that's fine. Yeah, especially if I'm like, oh, I remember using this cool sound on this one track, let me go back and find it and figure out what I did. Uh, I'll do stuff like that. Or the other day, not the other day, Last summer,
0: <laughs> same thing. <laughs> yes, it is.
2: <laughs> Last summer, I was driving. Uh, I had about a six to eight hour road trip by myself, okay. and I wanted to make sure that uh, River City Two sounded good in my car, even oh. though I had already submitted it and it was already done. It just hadn't been <laughs> out yet, so I put it on, and yeah. it was great road trip music because I knew it all, <laughs> right. but uh, I wanted to kind of make sure that it held up, even though. I couldn't do anything about it at that point. It was all ready to go and it was submitted and everything, but yeah. So every once in a while.
0: Oh, that's so awesome too. Now, if you are able to say, is there more sequels in the works? Do you know if you'll be coming back to work more with way forward? Not even if it's river city on any other projects.
2: I am absolutely going to be working with way forward on other stuff. Oh, awesome. I can't talk about sure. any of it yet. Of course.
0: <laughs> no, <laughs> I totally understand. <laughs> totally get it. Now, what is or what was your involvement with EA sticking still w- w- with video games?
2: Yeah, EA was fairly recent. Uh, oh, this was okay. about last, last year, uh, almost a year ago. I actually was hired sort of indirectly. Um, I worked with an agency that serves as sort of a, an agent, I guess, between the bigger studios. It was like EA and independent composers like me. So I worked with an agency called Otherworld Audio. Ooh. And he said, hey, Megan, I finally have some work for you. Uh, Apex Legends needs oh. stuff. Okay. And I was like, okay, that is amazing. Yes, I, let's, let's do it. I'm going to do it. <laughs> so I did about 16 different pieces of music for Apex Legends Mobile. And that's what that is.
0: Oh, that's crazy. Now, again, how long do some of these projects, like, for example, R- River City Girls, where you're literally doing everything from start to finish, and do mm-hmm. you work on anything in between, or are you solely focused on one project at a time?
2: Oh, I have usually about five things. Oh, wow. <laughs>
0: one. I don't know how you could do that. <laughs> My brain doesn't work that uh, way. <laughs> well, a lot of
2: scheduling, let's just say that. Like, okay. This person has this deadline, so I'll work backwards. Okay. Uh, Do that. You know, put that in the calendar. Okay, this person has this deadline. Put that in the calendar. (laughs) Yeah. So, for River City, uh, the first one, I think, was, I, yeah, I worked on it for about nine months.
0: Wow. Look at that. Yeah.
2: And then the sequel was, I want to say, a little bit less. Um, Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> it kind of was unfortunate i started out they didn't give me really a finite cadence for when they needed things it was kind of oh. like yeah here's all the information you just sort of work on it as you can right. as you feel like it you know as we get you these things and then six weeks before they needed everything they told me they needed everything in six weeks so oh. i was like uh, what excuse me <laughs> that's crazy so um uh, That was intense. I, that's why I had to enlist Dale North for help. I said, help, please do the cutscenes. I can't like, even (laughs) if I didn't sleep, I wouldn't be able to do all of this. So there, there were a little bit of a, a little bit of a scramble at the end there.
0: Well, welcome to the video game world, so I've heard, especially with a lot of the developers, right? It's like, here, this yeah. is what you're given, go. like uh, I, I want to touch on Atari, but speaking of Atari, I had Howard Scott Warsaw, who created and made uh, Yar's Revenge on the show. And he was saying how he was only given, I think it was like a six to eight week period to make the E.T. game. And where it took him, like, pretty much triple or quadruple the time to make yours revenge and it's like what the hell like and it's like uh, some of these crunches are crazy
2: yeah they're insane i had to push back i was like well you guys didn't tell me that you needed this done i that would have been nice to know so uh this is what i can do for you Um, there's no way i can get all of these things that you need Unfortunately, but it still ended up as a 47 track soundtrack. So I think that's,
0: that's nuts. (laughs) No, that's very impressive. Very (laughs) impressive. Now back to Atari. What was your involvement with them? What projects did you work on with Atari? And did you work directly with Atari?
2: Yeah, I worked directly with Atari. um, Fairly recently wrapped the eighth game for them. So I've been working with them for several cycles. That's awesome. Um, yeah, it's really great. They're they're great. I love the the team and the the people that I've been in contact with. They're awesome. Um, they're one of the best clients because they have no edits for me.
0: <laughs> really? So you just have free form and rain, do whatever you want.
2: They give me some like directional notes and say, okay, have at it. We need four tracks. We need four tracks. We need four tracks in these different styles. And I think in the the whole eight game run. So let's see. That would be. Thirty-two tracks that I've done for them now. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had wow. one edit on one track, <laughs> so they're great. Uh, not only because they don't have edits for me, they're just awesome people. Sure. Um, yeah, it's been it's been it's been really cool with Atari. I hope I get to work with them even more. And that actually came about because of River City, oh. one of the producers on uh when atari announced their recharged titles so they started with centipede recharged mm-hmm. one of the producers had either been playing river city girls or his daughters were playing it and Look at that. he noticed the music and thought wow this has a good vibe this might work really well for atari and mm-hmm. the rest is
0: history as they say, right? No, for sure. Now, how about this as a music composer? Because when you're creating video games, a lot of these developers put like Easter eggs and little hats off to themselves. Is there anything that you can do in music? Like, do you drop something in there that only your ear could hear? And you're like, "That I know this is mine. Like, you, you know <laughs> what I mean?
2: I do know what you mean. I haven't placed any little secrets anywhere. Uh, although, oh. in the sequel... If you approach a certain window in River City Girls 2, you can hear me singing in the shower. Really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's
0: hilarious. <laughs>
2: so there is that Easter egg, but that wasn't my idea. I just went with it because the director was like, hey, you know what would be funny?
0: <laughs> oh, so are you an actual gamer? Do you game on your free time or w- were you a gamer when you were younger?
2: Uh, A little bit. I am now. um i haven't played anything for a while i kind of go through phases where i'm like all i want to do is game in my free time and then i'll go through like three or four months where all i want to do is like like work on crochet or read a book or something (laughs) sure um but yeah i i was a little bit late to the gaming thing okay a lot of people start out you know in their sort of elementary school age days. i was a little bit later i was kind of on the tail end of middle school when. My dad bought a Nintendo 64 and then it was like, okay, this is pretty great.
0: (laughs) Right. To me, it's one of my favorite type of forms of entertainment because you could do everything in a video game. Like now you have the cinematic video games where it's literally like watching a movie. So if you want to just watch Mm -hmm. a movie, you could do that. Like there's every type of genre now. It's not your pixelated stuff where like the sky's the limit. Now with VR as well too. Geez, I could only imagine what the future could hold for video
2: games. Oh, I know. It's, yeah. I'm really curious to see where it goes because it's just exponentially grown in the past 20 years.
0: See, and that's, again, not to ruin it, but going back to the peripheral, that's sort of what the peripheral is. There's, some, like, especially, like, the first episode, so it's not ruining much, where you put on a headset, but instead of being the character, you're yourself in the game, and it looks like real life. Like, it, like there's no graphics. It's just straight-up video. And yeah, yeah it's like and you feel and there's you know you feel everything so when you you like feel getting shot and stuff and mm-hmm. like you could so see so many people be that being the new drug where no one gets to unplug and is just in there constantly right
2: absolutely i'm actually reading an amazing sci-fi series right now that is exactly that where oh, people okay. have neural um they call them shunts in the book, like okay. a neural shunt where they literally just plug directly into the network. And That's scary. It's so... Oh, my God. If you're a reader and you like sci-fi, you have to check out this series. It's called Otherland.
0: Otherland? Okay.
2: By, by Tad Williams. It's incredible. If you like sci-fi, <laughs> it is the coolest... I call it kind of like a cyberpunk fantasy okay. series. There are four of them. They're really chunky. Okay, no I think I started... Last April, yeah, I started reading them last April, and so it's almost been a year, and it's taken me almost a year to read all four of these. That's how big they are.
0: I almost definitely have to check them, yeah, because I'm the same thing. If I'm not reading books based on video games or the story of a video game, I'm my go-to is, is sci-fi or even horror. I used to be a huge Stephen King fan back in the day when he used to actually drop good stuff. His later stuff, yeah. not see. There's another thing. See what I mean? Like in writing, mm-hmm. some some authors their first few books are like oh, but then after everything else, you could tell is just a money grab. They're just using their name, right?
2: Yeah, it's kind of too bad. I really enjoy Stephen King too, but I I agree with you. The earlier stuff is tends to be more of my thing than the later stuff.
0: And I just uh, I know it's hard, and I don't make it myself, so I shouldn't be one. To digress about this but it's like how is it dropping the ball on such a great novel turning it into a movie like the story's already written it's right there <laughs> all you got to do is translate it to on screen like there's so like there are only probably a handful of adaptations that I think held up to the original yeah
2: yeah it's um I think there's so many more moving parts on a feature film you know Time than, <laughs> I think that's what it is. Cause if you're an author and you probably only have yourself and what's in your head and then maybe your editor and publisher, like that's it. But then on a feature film, you have hordes of people that have to communicate and collaborate True. and make everything fit together. So there's a lot more to uh, get wrong, I guess.
0: <laughs> and just the time crunch itself, like you mentioned, look how yeah. long it's taking you to read this series. Imagine putting all this in a two to three hour movie. Obviously, stuff yep. gets, like, that's why stuff like Game of Thrones works, where it's told over a few episodes where you could hash out everything instead of condemn. Imagine Game of Thrones being just a movie.
2: Yeah, no, they couldn't. Right? <laughs> <laughs> they couldn't, no. I think one of the best adaptations of all time um, is the Lord of the Rings trilogy. They oh. The movies are, like, they didn't get everything perfect, but they hold up so well and everything is so beautifully done. Mm. Um, and it's just impeccable
0: oh that's awesome okay and before we get out of here quickly what's some of your favorite soundtracks for video games
2: oh good question let's see Mm. oh that's tricky uh one of my favorites is a little indie game that kind of blew up way back when called fez
0: i've heard of fez of course
2: yeah yeah, I really enjoy that soundtrack.
0: Okay. I don't remember it now. I, I remember playing the game once or twice just because it looked... I like quirky games too. So when something doesn't look yeah. like a normal game, I'll check it out. And if I don't like it, I don't like it. I'm, the best part about these indie games, you're not breaking the bank. So even if I play for a couple hours, I'm still getting my money's worth.
2: <laughs> yeah, 100%. Yeah, the indie, oh, indie games are so great.
0: Because um, you're made so from love, things. I find. Like Like we were saying, like The Crunch and The Big Corporations. They're not in it for the love of it. They're in it obviously to please the shareholders and everyone else that's involved, like I said, the Mm -hmm. big machine. But when you have a couple of people or even just one person creating a project their whole life out of love, and then they put it out there and it's fantastic, uh, those are the stories I love.
2: I know. I love those too. They're a little more bite-sized too usually, which is kind of fun. Like you just play through a story for four or five hours and that's it. And it's just this perfect little unit. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) I agree. What are soundtracks soundtracks? I'm trying to think. Oh. Um, Also, an incredible game was Elder Scrolls IV Oblivion. Okay. It's one of the best soundtracks I have ever listened to. It's so stunning.
0: Really? I never really got into Elder Scrolls. I got into Skyrim a little bit, but I played it. I made the mistake of playing it when it first came out, and it still had all the bugs, so I kept crashing. Ah. So um, I was about twenty hours true. deep, and then it crashed, and my whole file erased. And I'm like, I'm not doing this again. So oh, it's no. left a bad taste in my mouth, and I've never played any of the other one. I never even went back and played the older stuff. Nothing. I was like, Nah, oh, too bad.
2: Yeah. Oblivion is hilarious. It's it's got a humor that Skyrim didn't have. Skyrim was very serious. Right. Oblivion got this sort of goofy, oh, okay. <laughs> this goofy current, and I really appreciated that.
0: I'll throw in a couple of mine. I'm going to go old school on these. Super Mario Brothers 3, every level, everything about it, the sound effects. Again, what what these developers and these composers had to work with back in the day, the limitations, and to produce what they did and make it catchy?
2: Oh, I man. know. Right? Yeah. I don't really envy them having those limitations.
0: <laughs> that's true. But pressure makes diamonds, as they say, right? <laughs>
2: yeah, that's a good way to put it. I could. I could See that for sure. Yeah, I, I like I said, sixty four was kind of my main console, my first real console. Right. So I definitely have a soft spot for um, Ocarina of Time. I was going to say City Zelda 4. has
0: great soundtrack from any yeah. pick any game, and your friend same same thing with uh, Donkey Kong Country. All those soundtracks are fantastic.
2: Mm-hmm. Yep. Exactly.
0: And oh uh, yeah, that's and, and even looking back, the original, and even now the ones on the Switch and the Wii that dropped for Donkey Kong Country. There's something about everything that goes into a game like that. Like, it's not just a side-scrolling typical game. It's the music. It's the characters. Like I said, like, back in the day, these developers made everything about love. Now it's about profit. And it's like, every once in a while, you do see those AAA games where it's like, okay, these developers, you know, they worked hard on this. But half the time, it's it's true. It's like, I'm like you now. It's like, I want those bite-sized indie games to yeah. play because i don't have 60 to 100 hours anymore and if i do it takes me about three months to play one game when i could be playing a handful of other games
2: right right yeah i feel you i'm still working on breath of the wild i keep picking oh. it up and playing for a month or two and then putting it down and then coming back
0: <laughs> but part three is going to come up by the time you finish one never mind two. <laughs> Oh,
2: i know i know it's going to take that long <laughs> hey it'll be cheaper then though
0: when it comes out well not nintendo though first party games they never drop in price they're always the same original price if you look yeah, at I it right it. so you um, got to catch that one uh, once a year deal when they drop like 20 dollars or something
2: yeah yeah or just wait at GameStop forever
0: until it's in the bargain bin <laughs> no kidding well megan thank you very much for coming aboard today hopefully you had a great time plug whatever you want to promote whatever projects or socials floors all
2: yours Okay, awesome. Yeah, well thanks for having me, of course. It was great. Um, I'm working on a lot more solo artist stuff this year. I've got about four different songs in the works, potentially an album coming up, so be on the lookout for that. Um they're very edgy, very dark. I'm going full like metal industrial with these, so stay tuned. <laughs> and yeah, check me out on Twitter and Instagram, Megan mcduff I'm just I'm everywhere.
0: Nice. And for myself, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter under finger styles. You can follow the podcast on Twitter, the podcast dap. Email us your thoughts, suggestions, comments, anything you want to get off your chest at the podcast dap at gmail.com. Please rewind to the top of the show. Support us, find sponsors, because it helps them almost definitely helps me out please rate, subscribe, review on all major platforms. And if this is the first time you're listening to the podcast and you've enjoyed what you've heard, please go back and listen to older episodes featuring the likes of recording artist Megaran, video game music composer T. Lopes, and the legendary TV music composer Jonathan Wolf, just to name a few. One last question before I let you go. All right. Put you on the spot here. If you could only make music for one form of entertainment, what would it be? video games really i thought you were gonna say movies everyone always says movies
2: no games for sure i like i like the people better it seems to be a more open-minded a more creative less closed off industry
0: awesome on that note she's megan i'm steve this is the podcast peace